Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. So I am very excited to introduce the first Icelander also, fellow Icelander. Technically the, the second Icelander, as she pointed out. She pointed that out. Yeah, she's very generous like that. <laughs> I just, I'm just so excited to hang out with her. I met her a few years ago in New York City, I think at the Icelandic consulate, like at a Christmas party or something. And then we just, you know, met over the years in, in different venues. And then we started to hang out here and there a little bit. And I just really enjoy her company. I think she's brilliant and she's going to have a whole different approach to how we see theater, I think. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I think we should just dive right into it. I always do that. I know. I always spoil. Let's do it. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us on the Artist Inclusive Podcast today. We are so excited to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into our conversation and for the listeners who don't already know you, can you give us just a little bit of your backstory, who you are, you know, what you do, the mid-movie montage version, if you will? Yeah, my name is Aline Eckertstar, and I was born and raised in Reykjavik, Iceland. I moved to the U.S. for college and I attended Boston University for undergrad and studied uh, theater there and then studied theater management at Yale for my master's. And I'm currently the Senior Vice President for Theatrical at Mills Entertainment, where I'm building a, a slate of theatrical properties based on beloved IP. And uh, I also support business development and content acquisition on the touring side of the company as well, which produces shows such as Elf on the Shelf, Teresa Caputo Live, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Colin Mopri and Brad Sherwood, to name a few. That's really cool. So for, for me and for maybe other people who are a little bit less savvy, what is what are theatrical properties? So theatrical shows. Anything okay. that you can put on a show that, that can go on a stage. Do these shows start off Broadway, then Broadway, and then they go tour? It depends on the format. The company that I work for currently has a directed tour model. So we, do, we produce shows that go straight on the road and live their life there, traveling from city to city. The, the Broadway model is more focused on a show that opens in New York and then it goes on tour. But there's, there's many ways of doing it. But I think especially if you have some sort of intellectual property or, or something that people know and that you don't necessarily have to uh, launch in New York in order for people to know what it is, the directed tour model is an option as well. So those show that go, the shows that go directly on, on the road, are, are we supposed to know the concept of them? Do they come from, are they inspired by a TV show or something like that? Oftentimes they are. What the company has done so far is is focus on that those kinds of, of properties, something where you can you see the title and you sort of know where, what it is. It may be based on a popular TV show or or something that you know or or talent that you that you recognize. But on the theatrical side, we're also developing shows that may need some more branding and and development and and even co partnerships with nonprofits. And that, that's sort of like the more standard theatrical development model. Yeah. One of the shows you mentioned a second ago was Elf on the Shelf. And like, yeah. I had no idea maybe until two or three years ago that it was such a phenomenon. Yeah. Culture. There's the toy and there's movies and like this whole this whole thing that the kids of today are like, oh, we have our Elf on the Shelf. And when I was growing up, that just wasn't a thing. So it's really right. cool to see how it's kind of made its way into the water table of 
sort of pop culture? It's a phenomenal brand and it's it's also very homegrown. It's a very, it's, a, it's an original story that the creator of and the writer of the story grew up with. And she's created this phenomenal company out of it. And we're so proud to be a part of it too. And we, we opened it in 2019 and we're finally taking it back on the road now for this season and starting up in November. So couldn't be more excited. Yeah, that's so exciting. So, yeah, so there was, obviously there, there were no, has it been any touring for what, year and a half or? Well, yeah, for about, well, actually, I think we started doing some shows in, I won't say like March or April of this year that was, that were outside, social distancing, we would sell tickets to, yeah, people would be sitting in sort of pods. So there's been some activity, but I feel like the general touring industry is, is just starting to come to life now and, and over the, the past month or two. So it's, it's exciting after so long. But I know a lot of companies also did a lot of work in the um, online space. I know we, we certainly did that for, for a while. We took some of our shows and created online versions of them and sold tickets through our, our venue partners. Yeah. How did that go? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you, how you did it online? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's never going to be the same, but I think a lot of people really appreciated it knowing that we were all kind of locked up in our homes and we were looking for that sense of community. So I think it was a great thing to be able to offer audiences. And it ranged from, we did, there was some comedy, there was magic shows. I know a lot of some sort of more straight theaters did concerts. So I think it filled a certain void during that time. But now that we're starting to open back up again, I think I, I think we may keep, you know, in general, the industry may keep some of that because they've also realized that the um, uh, it gives so many people access that maybe didn't have access before. I can just speak for myself personally. I know that I, I saw a lot of shows that originated in the UK over the past year that I never would have discovered if it hadn't been for so many companies going online. Yeah, no, that was really cool. And and broadcasting too, you know, all of a sudden everybody in America was able to see Hamilton. Yeah. And I think that's definitely an interesting thing that's happened in our industry, how short the window is becoming between a show opening somewhere live and then being filmed. We used to live in a world where that would take decades, if not longer. And now we're seeing shows that are already been, I believe, I think Diana, the musical opened in 2019 and that's already been recorded. So it's interesting and uh, it'll be interesting to see how audiences react if they will continue supporting their shows live as much as they did before. And now theater being open, we just had a, an actress on the show last week, Jennifer Van Dyke, and she was talking about the energy in the room because of social distancing. The mm -hmm. house is only half full. Is that, are you experiencing that with, with the shows that you guys take on the road or, or some sort of a lack of energy or, you know, it's not the same vibrancy in the house? Well, I don't know if it's, a, no, because I feel like the people that do come are very excited to be there. And I think it's not like turning, it's true, like it's not like turning on a switch where it all of a sudden goes back to a hundred percent. And I think there was a big shift there with the Delta variant that nobody really saw coming. So there's, I think the engine is going to take a little bit longer to get started, but I, I definitely think that there's still the interest in, in seeing shows. I think the one change too is that people may take a little bit longer. People don't order tickets as far in advance. 
Yeah. Isn't this just going to be a thing in our lives with everything, with travel? You know, I was just mm. talking with my family yesterday and we were talking about, you know, spring break that's in March and mm -hmm. we want to maybe go somewhere. And and there's this hesitation of like, are we going to book a house? How how are we going to move forward? And with theater, yeah, are guys kind of just ready for that anything could happen or how have you changed in that way? I, I think so. I think, you know, a lot of uh, everyone's holding their breath a little bit just to kind of see what happens because it really, it was only in this past week that uh, everything really started coming back to life. We had Hamilton and uh, Wicked and Lion King come back on Broadway. And those are big shows and they need a, a large audience in order to sustain themselves. So it'll be interesting to see how how that goes, especially knowing that there are so many travel restrictions still on. I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more discussion about about that. I think everyone's remaining trying to be as positive as possible and 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 focus on the people who are there and trying to get the locals to come out and support the Broadway shows. But I think for for certain shows that have maybe been playing on Broadway for a long time, not having that international tourist crowd is going to have an impact, undoubtedly. Yeah. I don't know when they're going to open, but Americans are able to go somewhere, but yes, can't accept guests or, yeah. Yeah, and you can fly from certain places like, you know, Mexico, or you can you can fly here from there. And I believe Europe is pretty much closed off unless you're a U.S. citizen and some other areas in the world, too. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So, yeah, I, I think the restart of the industry is not as turnkey as I think we all envisioned when the um, when the vaccine started distributing earlier this year. But it's a, it's a it's a slower start. But I also I, I think many companies have also been fortunate to get the Save Our Stages grant, which will will help throughout this transition time. Yeah, totally. You and I have talked about it, just like how when New York was so empty and mm -hmm. seeing in Broadway physically empty was just yeah. insane and it was unreal. I'm happy and I'm excited to start to get to see live show again. It just yeah. You don't realize how important it is to your just personal well-being to see life entertainment. Also, just the the life of New York City in general. It is uh, going to Broadway is one of the main things that tourists like to do when they come here. So yeah, you take that away. There's there's a big piece missing from that New York experience that everybody knows and loves. Yeah. Can we back up a little bit and mm -hmm. and talk about your journey to becoming a theater producer? You know, you mentioned that you grew up in Reykjavik and you came here to go to college. So what was that journey like for you? And like what inspired you to leave Iceland to come to this country and like do this thing? Sure. I, you know, I think it's it was a few things. I think one was my mother's family in Iceland was in the movie business. Uh, my great grandfather built one of, one of the first cinemas in Reykjavik. And it was a family business where I spent a lot of time as a young kid helping out, came to the box office. And I really liked the atmosphere there. And I loved seeing people come in out of, out of the theater, being transformed by what they had seen. And so, and plus as a kid, I got to stay up late sometimes because cinemas are mainly functional in the evening. So I, I think early on, the, the idea of selling tickets or selling some sort of experience was really interesting to me. And then what also helped was when I was six, my mom enrolled me in an English class, except they didn't have classes for six-year-olds. So she put me in a class with a bunch of 10-year-olds, which was really hard. And after the first class, I told her I was never going to take English again because I couldn't keep up with the writing and it was just way too difficult. But luckily, my brother talked me into taking one more class. 
And between that time, my mom had talked to the teacher and and they understood that I needed a little bit of extra help. But I ended up really loving studying English. And so by the time I started taking English in school, I'd already been studying it as an extracurricular activity for three years. So I, I got a head start there. The sort of the concept of potentially doing or going somewhere speaking English wasn't as scary to me because of that. And also my older brother ended up going to school in the U.S., Oberlin and Harvard, and just watching him go through that experience made me interested in in the U.S. college system and and just the, the quality of the education you can get here. And also my dad's sister lived in New York, so we would visit her once a year. I'd get to see Broadway shows. I fell in love with New York through her. So I think it was a combination of these three things that just kind of led me to really look at the U.S. as an option when I finished high school and I and I wanted to go to school. You're obviously like such an observer. You said when you were younger, mm-hmm. you saw the effect theater had on people. I think that's so beautiful, too. And then you're observing your brother going to school in New York. And did you ever want to be on the other side of theater ever to be want to be a performer yourself or... Or you were within mm-hmm. that observer wanting to just be behind the scene? Not really. I I have tried being on the other side of it. And I think especially if you're a woman, the world tries to push you in that direction. Like you should be, you, you're interested in theater. You should be on stage. And I had a summer job during high school performing in Icelandic sagas for tourists. <laughs> I did that too. Oh, really? <laughs> we haven't talked about that. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that's a separate podcast. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Let's not go. Okay. Oh, yeah. Bye. And, but I sort of didn't like it because I, I always felt like I had too many opinions to really enjoy it. Because mm-hmm. I always had a fan things about the poster and why aren't we selling the back row and, and all of that. I, I actually thought that piece of it was more interesting than than being on stage. No, that's that's great. And so when you are producing, are you that that those opinions that you had then, Mm. then you're able to voice them and 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 have an opinion when you're producing? I mean, can you tell us a little bit how how that works? What do you do as a producer? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as a producer, you try to you're putting a project together and means you're hiring artists, you're hiring writers, directors, and and guiding the kind of iterative process that is creating a show. I certainly bring my opinions to the table, but it's also a very collaborative process. So you sometimes have to be able to take a step back and understand when when your opinions are valid and when they're not. And I you know, I feel like the, the longer I am in this business, the less interested I am in my own opinions and more I'm interested in the audience's opinion. So, but I, I feel like ultimately it's, it's the job of, of a nurturer. You're trying to just give people the best environment to create their best work and do the best version of the, the show that you set out to do. I mean, I'm sort of, I always feel like I'm, I'm a bit of a generalist in the entertainment industry as my background, it, it covers very, a very broad list of things going from producing, merchandising, licensing, e-commerce. I, I, I even, I ran a performing arts division at a university at a certain point. And I think it's partially just because I have a very broad range of interests and I really like learning about new things. I, I'm a big fan of Franz Johansson's The Medici Effect, which talks about how kind of creativity and true innovation happens at the intersection of fields and disciplines and cultures. But I also think being an immigrant in the U.S., 
system, especially when you're in a very risky industry, which doesn't allow you to be unemployed at any, any point, you sort of, you quickly learn to uh, adapt to a broad skill set. Yeah. And it's certainly, well, I'm thankfully, I'm a dual citizen now, and I don't really have to think about it anymore. I think once, where now was in the immigration process, it certainly shaped my choices and actions when it comes to work and figuring out, you know, there were certain jobs that I, I knew that I just wouldn't be able to take because at the end of, if, if it's a contract that's up at the end of a certain point, there goes your, your visa. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah. People wouldn't think that. That's not something I think is on people's minds. It's, it's really not. But I, and I think it's interesting because especially now as we're talking a lot about diversity and inclusion and, and all of the, all of those things that are very timely to talk about. You look at other industries like tech that is extremely welcoming to people outside of the U.S., whereas in the theatrical industry, it's, it's extremely difficult. Yeah. Is it very closed, kind of feels like closed doors and, and people just work with the people they know and, and it's not very open to new to newcomers in a way? Or how do you feel like getting in the door? I thought it was less about that. I actually felt very welcomed. And yeah, I feel like I, coming out of the school system, I, I knew a lot of people. But I think as a, as a general policy, I think a lot of companies don't have the funds to support immigrants. They don't have the funds to pay for your visa. And I, I know many companies make the make the employee actually pay for their visa, which is tricky when you're starting out in an industry. So it's interesting. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, I, I think in my case, I ended up getting a job with a company where I had been an intern the year before. So they knew me very well and they were interested in supporting me in this journey. But I think if I hadn't gotten a job with that one company, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be here, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. That's a very cool, I mean, to know that perspective. You're mentioning you, you do, you've done a lot of different things as a generalist. I find it interesting when I meet people who have that kind of experience because for so many of us, we just do this one thing, we get good at it, yeah. and then we never do anything else. Yeah. Is there anything that you either totally loved as a generalist or maybe you did something, you're like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. Do you have any experiences that you could reflect on that are either very cool, like, hey, I love this, or I'm glad I'm no longer doing that thing, whatever it is? I tend to enjoy whatever I'm doing at the time. Maybe just because I, I look for the good, but I, I, I've been fortunate enough that I've always been interested in, in whatever job that I was doing. I really enjoy working on projects that I think will have or may have an opportunity to reach audiences internationally. I think those sorts of projects I, I get very excited about, no matter what they are. Early in my career, I was fortunate to work on the proposal for building the Marina Bay Sands Resort in Singapore. And so that was really fun to be a part of uh, where the Lion King has gone there since then. And as soon as I've actually stayed at the resort, but it was fun to get to create the sort of outline for the entertainment strategy at that particular resort as it was being designed and built. Interestingly enough, I remember when I took a position as a, you know, at senior level for a co-producer and merchandise company for Wicked, that I really enjoyed creating products just as much as I like creating shows. So getting to work on like creating a Facebook game, a mobile app, a costume line for, for retail was actually really, really fun. And I wasn't, it, it sort of surprised me because you always think like, oh, this is what I do. And I get to study theater management, but the creative process is all around. And it's, it's really fun to sometimes step outside your comfort zone and, and learn something new. Yeah. 
And, and talking about something like Wicked, something that is such so, an incredibly successful show and has been running for, uh, well, you probably know how long, 20 years or? It opened in 2003. So oh. close. Yeah. Yeah. When does it like tick for for to be that successful? And how early do you know when something is running? It's funny. I always, uh, I sometimes joke with my friends that I, I can always tell if a show is going to be a big hit based on if my Icelandic mother is going to like it. Because if she likes it, then you you reach everyone. Like then, yeah. I think there are. I, I think that's really the key. That if it's if the subject matter is so international that everyone can either see themselves in it or recognize themselves in that in that situation. I think that's really key. Obviously, you know, if you have some sort of underlying rights material that people recognize and, and love, that helps. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. There are many original musicals that have become very successful. It's hard to hard, hard to know. But do you feel like when these shows are in development early on, something like Wicked, like Hamilton, that just started here at the public off Broadway. And I'm just thinking like, does like a uh, unknown playwright have a chance to get into this world? Unknown player to, to just have a musical on Broadway? Y- yes, sure. I think it's difficult for an unknown playwright to be hired to create a, a musical based on a valuable piece of underlying property. Typically, when those positions are filled, producers look to somebody who has experience or there's some sort of assurance that the person knows uh, that they can handle the material very well. That being said, though, there are, I mean, most Every, everybody starts somewhere. And, and I think, you know, there's especially there's a great demand for uh, Broadway book writers, especially. I feel like that's the skill that is the most difficult to um, achieve or, or, or to, to perfect in, in musicals. Typically, if you, if you read a bad review about a musical, it's, it has something to do with about the book. The book, yeah. Ooh, I have to rethink my career. <laughs> it's an opening. <laughs> right, right. Likewise, I think there's also great opportunities for writers in theater who are good at writing humor. I, I think, sadly, that is one area of theater where we we tend to lose talent to the Netflixes of the world and, and the and the streaming providers. And, and a lot of great a lot of the great people that are writing comedy there are people who maybe wrote one play. I believe Mindy Kaling wrote a play off Broadway that was very successful, and, and some other. There are some other writers there as well, but it's it's tough for us to keep the great comedy writers in in theater. In theater. Yeah, I can see that. This is yeah, that's a really interesting point. Is there is there something to that? Is it like when it comes to like folks who are like say comedy writers, like a Mindy Kaling, are they being like recruited out of the theater with like a price tag attached? Is that what the the streaming platform? Yeah, I, I think so. I think there is, there is. I mean, there's also a great demand for great comedy writers in, in Hollywood. And there's just no way that the theater can compete with those dollars. And so typically, unless the writers really have a passion project that they want to work on, their their time is more valuable when it comes to working in, on, on sitcoms. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've known a few playwrights, either from Atlanta or from LA, who have kind of gone that direction you know like mm-hmm. I've seen them do some shows at the regional theaters here and then before you know it I see their yeah. name popping up on Netflix or HBO and I'm like oh yeah that's really cool and that's, that's not something I mean there's still there are great writers obviously in theater and they're they're typically just very much in love with that particular format and, and writing yeah 
And then sometimes those writers, somebody I went to school with pursued playwriting and, and, and got his work produced and was doing really well and then moves to L.A. and is currently writing movies that never get produced. Yeah, but is making really good money writing stuff that nobody's ever going to see because it always gets killed. It's so interesting to me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all the um, streaming providers that have popped up in the past year. I mean, I feel like we're in a bit of a gold rush almost, it, it feels like, but there's never been so much content created as as now, which is great for writers because they, they're certainly getting there's so many opportunities out there for them. And it's great to see actors too. I mean, I feel there's a lot of work out there right now, but I also wonder how sustainable it is to have so many. Yeah. And I, I mean, inevitably, I think people have been saying that they will start to merge and, and we, we probably will not have as many 10 years from now, but it certainly creates an interesting time in history for us right now. Yeah. And I could imagine with all that content, it's so hard probably to find the criteria to find the demographic mm -hmm. to see what people actually want because we're spread all over the place with the content we're watching from reality yeah. to scripted to you can't just say certain age is watching that it's right all over the place yeah yeah and it's created an interesting sort of dilemma for the commercial theater industry in some ways because oftentimes something that is popular on TV or film will eventually become something that's adapted for stage. And if you even just look at the kids space, we used to have these these big big family tours that went out on the road. And we, you know, we still do, but it's it's very different now because if you ask a group of five-year-olds, what's your favorite show? There's 20 kids, you're going to get 20 different answers. Yeah, that has changed just in a few years. Yeah. And so I feel like we have a lot more titles and sort of smaller groups of rabbit fans. But it, it feeds more individuality. You know what I mean? Like group together because we're a certain age, we should be watching this show with all this. So mm -hmm. yeah, we just better enjoy it. Like you said, it might go away some of all that content. I mean, I hope it doesn't. I, I really, I enjoy a lot of the creativity and I really like the opportunities that I feel like it's creating for many of my peers that I feel like maybe wouldn't have happened if if we were still all watching network TV. Yeah, 100%. We were talking before you came on the show, we were so interested in your, to go 180 here a little bit, yeah. in, your, in your mentorship and you learned Chinese recently, like I mean, I, I can't say I'm fluent in Chinese just yet. I finished the do. I, I think during the pandemic, I, I think we all kind of thought to ourselves, what, what is it that I've always wanted to do, but never had the time to do? Mm -hmm. So I finished the Duolingo Mandarin course, which was really fun and, and interesting. And so I, I hope to continue those studies, but I think it'll be a few years before I can consider myself fluent. I finished diversity, equity, and inclusion certification, a completed project management course. I, I basically just, I was just conscious that I really wanted to use this, this time to do something productive and think about how I want to return to the workforce as a better person. And I don't know, I, I think I'd, I'd been at a, at a party somewhere where I met somebody who spoke Mandarin as a second language that, and I just remember thinking that was so fascinating and, and as a language lover, I, it was something that I always wanted to do. So I used that time to do that. Wow. That's so bad. That's it. Because, you know, when the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, there were these, some people that were just going to, they were going to write a book and, and learn a new language and everybody mm -hmm. was making banana bread or 
doing all these things. And then there were also a, a big group of people that were just depressed that couldn't sure. function in this, you know. But I'm very impressed with the the language skills and, and the fact that you actually made it happen. Well, we'll see in a few years if, if I'm actually fluent. I think just being able to read a sign or, be, or to order from a menu, I think is it's a step in the right direction. And I think especially after COVID, there was so much hate towards this racism that came up against it, Asian people. I, I think maybe that had something to do with a part of this desire to, to learn a language that I, I don't think a lot of people spend the time you to study. Definitely. Wow. Amazing. I'm very impressed. Yeah, that's really impressive. I think I tried to learn Danish for about a day and a half during the pandemic on Duolingo and I got bored and forgot about it. It's a hard language though. I Not the one you should start with. No. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. I, I Probably not. Danish for 10 years in Iceland and I'm still not. Maybe start with Mandarin. Huh. Yeah. Well, very, very cool. So you're in New York right now, but you, you moved to Iceland in the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I was lucky enough that I wasn't, that I was always employed during the pandemic. I reduced my hours a little bit during certain period or certain period of time, but I was always very much in touch with my colleagues at work, but I made the decision during the pandemic that if, since there was no theater in New York and we were all just going to be in our homes anyway, that I might as well spend time with my family. And we all learned how to work remotely anyway. So it didn't really matter if I was in my apartment in New York City or in Iceland. And I kept the same work hours while I was at home. And I think people barely noticed that I had switched cities. And I think that's something it'll be interesting to see how the uh, employment market will change after this, because I think a lot of companies are going to continue allowing working remotely which is great. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see some of the spaces in the theater district, all the offices there. Yeah. So have you gone to the theater now that you're back? Or, or you, you, do you have some tickets? Not not yet, but I, I have some shows that I'm seeing next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and see Wicked and there's some plays that I want to see. I think it's also important to support some of the off-Broadway companies like Playwrights Horizons, and especially for us, who are local to New York, the, the tourists, they, they don't go to those companies as much as they go to Broadway. So I feel like those companies are really relying on us right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's some of us theater is off Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Is it so the show of vaccination? What, what are the, the, the protocols now going to the theater? I believe it's showing proof of vaccination and, and, and wearing a mask, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, at restaurants here too. We have to show uh, yeah. proof of vaccination mm-hmm. in New York City. Yeah. So people should get vaccinated if you want to have culture. If you want to, or, or just <laughs> go have dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I wish our state would get get their stuff together as much as New York has because it's it's kind of wild down here in the South. Where are you? I'm in Atlanta. Oh, so okay. we... The the city of Atlanta and the you know surrounding areas are fairly conscious, but the further away you get from the city, the more it kind of degrades into anti-vax cuckoo land. I see. Yeah. Well, this has been so such a treat having you. I feel like I've learned so much. Just in, just there's so many different perspectives of theater. You know, when you go and see a show, and you know there's been a lot of work behind it, mm-hmm. but I feel like you took us behind other behind the scene in a, in a very different way. And it was really cool too to get your insight and yeah. And working on merchandise. I mean, there's so much to it that, that, and, and you've done, you've done it all. 
It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. This has been this has been very, very good. I appreciate it. Maybe we can have one more question. Do you have a dream project, something you haven't done yet, something that you would like to accomplish well in the nearest future? Not really. I think there's nothing that springs to mind. I, I think more the the more time I spend in this industry, the more I appreciate working with the more important I think it is to work with people that you enjoy working with. Yeah. I've certainly been really fortunate enough that I've always had employers that I really enjoyed working with and who treated me as a friend. And I've certainly gained so many friends through this industry. That is, and I think it's something that we sometimes take for granted. And not a lot of people, not everyone gets to experience that. But I think, you know, I think as long as I can continue working with the great people that I had the fortune to work with today, there will be some great projects that we'll find along the way. Sounds good. So where can people find you? Are you on social media? Like you're on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm Elaine Eckert. I'm on LinkedIn under linkedin.com slash IN slash Eggert. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. I, I loved our conversation today. Thank you too. And enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. Alien was really great. It was really fun to talk to somebody who was on, you know, the other side of the stage, so to speak, you know, behind the scenes. And what strikes me about our conversation with her is that she is 100%, 1000% as passionate as every performer that we've interviewed on the show. Her gift for for bringing theater to life really shines through in that conversation. Yeah, she's very passionate about it. And I feel like she just lives and breathes theater. When I see her personally, that's we either go into a show or talking about a show. She's very passionate about it. And I remember when I met her first, I was like a little bit intimidated because she's kind of like a Broadway producer on that business side. And when I met her, I was still in a theater. So then you don't feel like a peer. But now it's different, which is really strange but it feels more like a peer now because i stepped stepped off the stage yeah it's really funny that you mentioned that you know like when we've talked to actors who had some clout i wasn't necessarily super intimidated but when we've spoken to like writers like natalie for instance i was like kind of quivering in my boots a little bit because it just hit closer to home for me uh, like success fear feels different when it's in your realm of practice yeah absolutely I do want to comment on one thing that Ellen said that she, I mean, there's so many, she really, she gave us a lot. I feel like I just really loved how she talked about how she's inspired by Franz Johansson talking about how innovation comes from diverse industries and cultures and discipline and how they all kind of bring ideas from one to the other. And I'd love to talk more about that at some point, because that is so directly related to what we're trying to do with community to bring different artists, diverse artists together into a world and and be inspired by each other. Before we even started the conversation and before we hit record today, you know, you and I were just talking about how there are these sort of like one hit wonderkin type of people who, who can do it all. But sometimes, oftentimes, and maybe even most of the time, the best work comes from a group of people with a singular vision, you know. You've got a writer, you've got a director, you've got a cast, you've got crew, you've got producers and the marketers behind it. And I've seen it firsthand that like the shows that are the most successful and the most engaging a lot of times do come from like that synergy and those interactions 
between those types of people. And that, for me, that's so important to have our community be open door to anybody yeah. who's interested in the performing arts and creativity in general, really, to have a sphere of influence that's wider than most. Yeah, we have in the community, there are painters and puppeteers and actors and producers. And yeah, it has, we haven't even reached to where we're going with that, but that's not on the podcast. Completely but, you know, whole other conversation. Yeah. I just want to say thank you to Aileen. I was, it was very great to have her today. So it's a gift. She sets a beautiful presence and she's very, oh, can we talk about how she's, she studied Mandarin during the lockdown? I mean, she's most people have may like, be made up banana bread. Yeah. And she made a banana bread, but in Mandarin. She, she had probably the most productive pandemic of anybody I've ever spoken with. She, yeah. she learned Mandarin. She put a lot of, you know, work into making use of that time. Yeah. And she got certified. She took a diversity, equity and inclusion certification. Yeah, which she is so important. She, yeah. And she said she wanted to show up back to the workforce as a better person. And I, I just love that. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. The other big thing that I took away from that conversation was wherever we are listening to this today, whether you're in New York City or West Coast or Atlanta or overseas somewhere, is that as patrons and as artists, like we should be supporting the arts in our local communities and going out to see theater or concerts by local bands or supporting local makers, especially in a time like right now, because if we have the means and which some of us do to spend in those areas, like it's never been more important to support our own. Yeah, that's it. The Artist Inclusive Podcast is brought to you by the Artist Inclusive Facebook group and artistinclusive.com. Learn more about Artist Inclusive at our website or join our free Facebook group. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share this message with somebody that you think would enjoy this podcast. This is how you're able to reach more engaged and impactful artists just like you.